Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Audio the show. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris, and we are recording of approximately twenty-two hours before the Mets' opening day game against the Washington Nationals in Washington. And um, Francisco Lindor has not signed an extension yet, and we're not going to spend too much time on this because we're we're trying to be positive and say that maybe it'll happen while we're recording. And so if it hasn't happened at the end of uh, the recording, then we'll talk a little bit more about it. But let's um, let's just kind of look at the other parts of the team for now, and we can come back to that in a little while. So, Chris, uh, in general, do you feel positive about this season optimistic negative scared sort of where what, what's your temperature on the start of the 2021 season i'd say overall pretty optimistic <laughs> it's a blend of having a team that's got a lot of good players on it um but also knowing that you've got some concerns uh on the pitching side of things early in the season, uh, especially with Seth Lugo, Noah Syndergaard, and Carlos Carrasco all uh, on the shelf to start the year. And, you know, it sounds like none of them are going to be out for an incredibly long uh, period of time. Syndergaard's recovery from Tommy John is going well. 
uh, with every update that we've seen. Um, Carrasco sounds like the hamstring injury isn't that bad. Seth Lugo wasn't that bad in terms of a uh, elbow surgery just before the season starts. Um, if you, if you so, have to have elbow surgery, this is the one to have. Yeah. So, <clears throat> excuse me, but with the loaded lineup they have and the potential rotation that they have uh, in the not-too-distant future and the depth that they have in the rotation, um, yeah, feeling pretty good. But I could see them being sort of around 500 for a month or two and people kind of freaking out a little if that happens, uh, if only because of the injuries and, and some of the bullpen concerns that we'll get into a little bit more. But, uh, but yeah, I, I am going into this season expecting not a 2006-type run where it was just... Uh, the 2016 was it was it wire to wire or maybe they were not in first place for two days in April or something, it, something it, it along was, those lines. Yeah, I, I want to say they were they were in first place. Let's call it by May first. I don't know exactly when, but it seemed like it, it their their dominance was almost perfunctory at the end because everybody just knew like oh this is this is their year, this is it. Um. But you you're not expecting that necessarily. No, not necessarily. But I I would pick the Mets to win the National League East. Okay. So that's about as optimistic as you can get for a regular season performance. <laughs> um. And yes, uh, the 2006 Mets. Thank you, Baseball Reference. Were half a game back uh, after they lost their second game of the season. So at a one and one record, they were half a game back. And then they took over first place, and then they never gave it up. <laughs> wow. I mean, I know, and uh, sorry, I'm getting sidetracked in a little bit of recent Mets history, but uh, when you go into a season with somebody like Francisco Lindor on the team, at least for this year, um, it's hard not to think back to what it was like in 2006, 7, and 8 to have Carlos Beltran, David Wright, and Jose Reyes all playing at that level where they're uh, not just all-stars or or like well-known players, but each one of them was capable of putting up a five or six or seven win season, depending on which war metric is your, your favorite. Um, and that was pretty special. I, I know those seasons ended poorly, but I still think of that era pretty fondly because, I don't know, having 161 games in two of those seasons that were enjoyable <laughs> you know 100 and uh what 177 or so uh or you know a little bit less than that but yeah something something in the 170s uh with with the season in 2006 that all stands out to me um so i i don't know the the lindor connection of just being that level of player that and I and I love a lot of the players that the Mets have had in between, but when's the last time they had a guy who had that capability every year uh t- to be that good of a player on, on the position player side of things? Obviously Jacob deGrom is that guy and, and is the guy in the rotation. 
Right. Well, when I wrote up the Lindora season preview this year, I um, I had completely forgotten that Lindor is a four t- has received MVP both MVP votes in four of his six seasons in the pros. That's crazy. Yeah. The only two he didn't were his rookie year when he got rookie of the year votes and then last season when he had a down season and it was a weird year for all of us. Um so yeah, I mean I I, I think Lindor I also think that, that there was this sense in the 2006 uh, era that that team all really loved each other and really loved hanging out together. And you just got this this real vibe from them. And I feel like I know it's very early into this this team's sort of chemistry. But don't you kind of feel the same way about this crew? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think some of it stems to the cookie club and you know, that kind of stuff that, that, that we talked about with Steve Gelbs uh, a couple of weeks ago now, but those sorts of things sort of gave us a window into who these guys were when they weren't in a Mets uniform and how they relate to each other. And just seeing some of that interaction, obviously it's not the same thing as if you uh, happen to run into JD Davis and Dom Smith at a bar and hung out with them all night. But there's, there's a, difference as a fan that you're getting okay i'm getting a little bit of a a look at what these guys are like and how they interact um and they seem to be very genuine about it uh, with with everything they're doing um and you know pete alonzo spoke very emphatically about (laughs) the lindor extension and could not have put put it better in terms of what he thought lindor was as a player and a teammate uh, and they've only known each other for a month, and yet that impression has been made. So you get the idea that a lot of these guys were pretty close uh, when you can look at the group that was existing uh, coming into the off season, and now with the season set to begin, it, it seems like those guys are only closer than they were before, and all the new people who have come in seem to have meshed with them really well. Yeah, I I'm very excited for this team for a lot of reasons. Um so what we're going to do for the first part of the show is we're going to talk about uh a couple of reasons why we're optimistic about the Mets, a couple of reasons why we're maybe a little bit pessimistic about the Mets for this year. And uh Chris, do you want to start on the uptake or start on the downside here? What 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 you feeling like? Let's let's start with the negativity. Okay, so <laughs> what what's something that you are negative about going into this uh, season? So the bullpen is my biggest concern. <clears throat> I think that would be a pretty common concern among Mets fans, especially when you look at the rest of the roster. Uh, things are maybe not perfect in every other area of the roster, but they're pretty damn good. Uh, I think Edwin Diaz is going to be good. I think what he did last year uh, and what he did in 2018 are much more similar performances to each other than what he did in 2019 which was obviously a very bad season for him um but i i i buy it so i think edwin diaz is going to be a very effective uh high strikeout pitcher that part of his game didn't change even when he was bad but i i think 
he's going to be fine. Obviously, there's no guarantee. And if he falls apart like he did in 2019 again, then there's going to be major bullpen problems. But I will buy that Edwin Diaz is fine. I like Trevor May a lot. Um, So those two, I feel pretty confident in. But then as you go down the list, Aaron Loop and Miguel Castro, I can see. uh, I think they're both clearly major league relievers. I just don't know how I feel about them in big spots, uh, especially if they're in those big spots on a regular basis. And then even that, until Seth Lugo comes back, hopefully not too long from now. Uh, But even that is only four pitchers in in an eight-man bullpen. Um, I have enjoyed watching Jerry's Familia. I enjoyed Dylan Batances when he was a Yankee. I was excited that the Mets signed him because, you know, he was coming off an injury and really hadn't pitched in the season before the the Mets signed him, uh, but hadn't given any reason to believe that he couldn't recover from his injuries and maybe continue being the pitcher that he was before. Uh, But Familia and Batances are are both super concerning because mainly they're, they're walking lots of guys. Batances couldn't throw nearly as hard as he used to. Uh, in spring training and I know he has a reputation of being a slow starter when it comes to that but when you're sitting in the low 90s that's very different from maybe sitting at 95 and then ramping it up to 98 by the the time you get to May, June, July uh, and and the remainder of the season so those two concern me Uh, Robert Gazelman I'm, I'm rooting for him but his ERA is over five since the beginning of the 2017 season he made the bullpen um and who am I forgetting? There's there's one other reliever. You say oh, Jacob Barnes. Oh, Barnes. Okay, yeah. Yes. So Barnes, um, I like Jeremy Hefner a lot, so I hope he's right. He, he's <coughs> kind of talked up Barnes and th- things that they saw in him, things that they discussed. Uh, very close to the end of spring training, they used him as the opener in a game. Uh, and I think it was just kind of funny that the mess decided to try out the opener once at the end of spring training when – who knows? Maybe they'll do it in real games, but it would just be the perfect time to try a new idea and then throw it away immediately. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I just, it's its a whole lot of maybes. And I can't see them all going right. And I don't know. I would rather see Trevor Hildenberger get a shot. Um that that's I don't know I, I just well they have, they, they still have him on a minor league deal they right they resigned um who did they just resign this week they released him and then uh, uh Tommy Hunter Tommy yeah. Hunter yes um you know and I actually think that the boon of the bullpen is going to be when Syndergaard and Carrasco come back that you you can send maybe a Lucchese to the bullpen and uh, or Yamamoto to the bullpen. And maybe develop one or one of those guys into you know a a really effective relief pitcher, whether it's a yeah. long man or you know just a two inning guy. Or look, I think if you have Degrom throwing you know high nineties for the first seven innings, and then Lucchese comes in with that curve, you're not going to know what what to do with it, right? I, I think that that pitch in particular, that guy. Because of that pitch, 
I think would actually make a really interesting bullpen arm. Yeah. That's kind of my my optimism with the bullpen is just that if if they can hold on till the uh, till Syndergaard and Carrasco come back, you might wind up with a couple more interesting arms in the bullpen. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, and I I, I like that thought on it. Um the biggest concern is that that they yeah. <clears throat> just that they stick with the uh the guys who might be struggling early on uh who who have bigger contracts and reputations and all that uh, you know if if we're a week or two into the season and familia batantas are both look like they're toast <coughs> i worry that they won't cut bait yeah i try not to talk about lindor i i, I, I <laughs> I feel like we all thought this was going to be a team run very differently than how the Wilpons ran the team when it came to all things money, whether that's money for a, a free agent contract or keeping a player around simply because their contract was worth more than you'd want to maybe, you know, just dump for nothing. And so when when Cohen bought the team... I remember you and I having almost this exact same conversation, basically saying, you know, it'll be nice to have a roster that's built on actual decisions. Like the, the, the decisions are built on actual performance and not based on contracts. But I don't know. I don't know anymore. And, that, mm. and that's not me trying to be uh, th- trying to throw shade at Steve Cohen or anything. I, I also I, we just don't know anything right now. Right. So, yeah, the, the only way we would have an idea that things are different would be if one or two or three pitchers who are in that group hadn't made the opening day roster. Right. So and look, I know they might not be uh, what they've been at their best necessarily. But when Steve Ciszek and uh, Tony Watson got let go, they both wound up with the Angels. I think they can both be solid relievers. <laughs> they they have been recently. Um, and maybe they both just had a, a desire to go play in California. Who knows? But you didn't hear anything about the Mets maybe reaching out and trying to get one of those guys who was cast off from another team's spring training who could, I don't know, maybe be just a slightly more useful reliever than uh, than Robert Gazelman to start the season. Yeah, Gazelman is the is the one to me that I just I feel like they're just chasing the dragon with him. They're trying to get back to when he was an effective piece of their bullpen, and I I just don't know if if that I don't know if that player still exists. No offense, Robert. Uh, so my um my first uh, pessimistic take on the Mets here is just their their outfield defense. And particularly the left field, center field, outfield defense. So it looks like for the most part, you're going to have Conforto and right with Nimmo in center, at least against righties. And you're going to have Dom Smith in left. That will obviously change if there's any sort of um, injury or if there's a particularly tough lefty on the mound. I think you'll wind up seeing Kevin Pillar play center field. And, um, you know, maybe Nimmo sits that day. Maybe Smith sits that day. But 
if you're going with a Dom Smith, Brandon Nimmo, Michael Conforto outfield, you're going to see a lot of balls hit the gaps that aren't covered. And you're going to see a lot of dives for balls that don't wind up that well. Uh, last week, there was a game on SNY where um, we saw Brandon Nimmo make a really nice sliding catch. And it was very nice to see Brandon make a catch like that. Or a diving catch, not a sliding catch, a diving catch. And, um, you know, it, it was, again, it, it's always nice to see those sorts of things happen. But as I watched it, I thought, oh, that's so he made his one good catch for the year already, and that's going to be it. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just it's very, very tough to get excited about Brandon Nimmo as a center fielder. The defense just isn't there. It's even harder to get excited about uh, Dom Smith, the left fielder. He just isn't built for that position. It's not his fault that the Mets keep putting him out there, but the Mets are in a position where they feel they have to be playing Pete Alonso every day, and I totally understand why they feel that way. It's just going to create some really, really ugly play. Now, the good news is that the Mets have a uh, heavy ground ball staff for the most part, and, uh, you know... They have more solid infield defense than they've had in some time with Lindor at shortstop, especially the days that Guillaume will play uh, at third base. And so I don't think the infield defense is going to be quite as atrocious as the outfield defense, but the outfield defense might be so atrocious that no one even notices the infield defense because it just has the potential to be really, really bad. So... Uh, outfield defense is my first a negative. What is your second negative, Chris? So I want to put it in the proper context that uh, a couple of years from now, if if you, it turns out that this is great, don't come back and tell me I was wrong. Um, because it's not that strong of a take uh, or anything. But I am a little concerned about catcher and – Everything that we've heard out of spring training with James McCann has been super positive uh, from himself directly, the the coaching staff, the, the pitching staff. It sounds like everybody likes working with him quite a bit. There's just a little bit of concern for me that, that he's somebody who didn't have that long track record before the Mets signed him. Uh, I think it's totally reasonable to look at, at the evidence and – and the uh, data that's there over the last couple of seasons, even even with last year being short, uh, and and say, okay, this all points to legitimate improvement. Uh, but it's just a, a combination of the track record not being super super long, either either at the plate or defensively, but wanting to buy those improvements. And then also just the fact that he's been in situations where he hasn't played that many games in a season. Uh, and if the Mets had maybe gone, I don't know, one or two notches up in terms of obtaining a, uh, a catcher to pair with him, I might feel a little bit better about that part of things. So I don't think James McCann is going to be terrible by any means, even if the hitting side of his game takes a step back. I think he can be a very solid starting catcher for the team, but it's the combination of those that just gets me a little. Okay, what if he's what if he's very good, but 
averages like 100 games a year and the other 62, uh, you know, it's a combination of Tomas Nito, uh, Caleb Joseph this year, Patrick Mazika, you know, uh, that kind of thing where it, it gets a little concerning. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. It's part of me feels like I'm reaching just to find something <laughs> <laughs> here uh, and yeah, I will say, whereas I, I think half the bullpen is going to be legitimately a nightmare for a while, uh, I, I will fully acknowledge that catcher could be totally fine, uh, but it's just a little bit of uncertainty. If it was, I don't know. It, yeah, I'm, I'm saying the same thing over and over here. But if the depth was a little bit better, or if the track record was a little bit longer, I wouldn't even be thinking about it. But it's just the thought that I have that, you know, hmm, that maybe maybe that doesn't turn out perfectly. So I was called crazy and unfair earlier this offseason by some commenters because I pointed out that McCann had never caught more than, is it 115 games maybe in a season? I want to say 118, yeah. something like that. And I had said that, you know, he's not the most durable catcher. And, I'm, and I, I I admit that was the wrong word because he never missed those other games due to injury. It's not like he was on pace to start, you know, 140 games, but injury kept him away from that. But just we don't know what his durability is going to be. So I don't think you're wrong to be concerned about that. I, I don't know if – I don't think there's any way to really know – what his ability is over a full season until a team gives him the opportunity to actually start for a full season. So hopefully hmm. at, the, at this time next year, we'll we'll look at a catcher who started 130 games or whatever the case may be and say we feel more confident in that. But, but I, I think you're absolutely right to call that into question. And I think also, like you said, because of McCann's relatively un... Um, relatively new offensive turnaround i think it's also very mean it, it's i don't i don't doubt your, your your i don't doubt your doubts at all let's put it that way um yeah it seems yeah. like every I, season there's a couple of players that come out of nowhere in their walk years and get signed to big contracts and then wind up being a bit of a bust overall and i'm not saying mccann is going to be that guy but I also wouldn't be shocked if McCann was that guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, here's hoping he's, he's excellent. And I don't know, I guess the other side of it for me as a Mets fan is thinking that Justin Turner, I mean, that really came out of nowhere to be fair. Yes. <laughs> he, league average, Utility-ish guy, bench guy, whatever, you know that that's fine. Uh, he he broke out in such a massive way, and then sustained it. So that that's a little bit different. So, but so Daniel Murphy is more the sort of apt player for this. That he goes and has that unbelievable postseason in 2015, and then they get to the offseason and. I don't know. I, I'm not saying I, I wanted him gone or anything, but it, it was just like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm not really going to buy that that performance is the guy that he's going to be. Uh, but then it was. Granted, 
just for like a couple of years, but still it, it was it was short lived, yeah. Right. But he, he did maintain that, that excellent <clears throat> level of play. So yeah. Yeah, that that's if I'm trying to be optimistic about this concern, it's that okay, I'm gonna learn that lesson that the player who improved at twenty nine might really have, have done some things that make that improvement stick. And I hope that's the case. Uh, I'm rooting for everybody who's on the Mets this year, whether I have doubts about them or not. And uh, and McCann seems like a guy who could quickly become a, uh, become a fan favorite, if only for like throwing guys out when they steal bases, because that, that's been a bit of a thing for a little while. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Um. So yeah, I'm, I'm trying to talk myself in into it, but you know, even if it's defense only and no bat, uh, the rest of the lineup is so damn good that uh, I don't think it's going to sink the offense or anything. Yeah, I mean, especially when you figure that every member of the starting lineup could potentially, as one of our writers pointed out in their uh, in their w, in their uh, optimistic plan. Optimistic piece. It's running. It's running the day you're hearing this. Probably, uh, every member of the starting lineup could have a WRC plus of over 120 home runs this year, and nobody would be surprised. And that's pretty crazy. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So my bit of negativity is is somewhat Lindor related here, and it's really kind of negativity for beyond this season but i there is an application here so if you look at the mets history there's only one time in franchise history that they made the playoffs two years in a row that's 2015 and 2016 and 2016 was just a wild card game they lost you know they made the world series in 69 and 73 that's that's the closest that we have to sustained uh, sort of dynasty level success for the Mets. You know, in, in 86, they won the World Series. In 88, they made the playoffs but lost in the championship series. The Mets just are not very good at building dynasties. And I had thought that Cohen was going to come in here and try to build a sustained winner. But, you know, as of as of recording, the Mets have not re-signed Lindor. They have not had substantial extension talks with Syndergaard or Stroman or Michael Conforto. And so it kind of seems like if the Mets are going to win, it seems like this is the year for them to do it. And I feel like when teams are put in that position that this is our year and the window is closing, that almost never goes well. That's a lot of pressure to put on a team. And I think if they do manage to re-sign Lindor, that somewhat gets relaxed. But there's still a fair amount of talent walking at the end of this season and I just hope that, you know, I mean, a baseball season is a long thing. 162 games is nothing to sneeze at. But when you know that you're going to be without Syndergaard for at least the first 50 of those, and Carrasco for probably at least the first 30 of those, and Lugo for maybe the first 35 or 40 of those, or whatever the case may be, then then every game takes on more import than it probably should because you feel like you have to... You know, in the beginning of the season, we have to maintain until our guys come back. Once those guys come back, all right, we can't lose these games now. We're finally at full strength. And in addition to just the regular pressures of the of the baseball season, 
you're left with this feeling of, okay, these guys are walking at the end of the year. If we're going to win, we got to do it right now. And I just feel like that's, that's going to put a lot of pressure on the Mets, and it's not good pressure. I think there is good pressure to be found on baseball teams all the time, but a group of guys worrying that this is their one and only shot with this team to win, that's, I, I just, that, to me, that's going to lead to, to nerves that are not they're not going to be positive on the field. So I'm a little bit concerned about just the amount of talent walking after this season and what that can put on the on the team especially early this season. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, no I I get that. Um I think it would be nice to start to see Somebody other than Degrom be uh, well. Degrom and Carrasco are, are under control for about the same amount of time. When you look at players who are uh, Talman Walker too, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I and I'm rooting for Walker, and I, I think he's. I like the signing, and I think he's got a good chance here to do something. Um, but just Degrom and Carrasco have some similarity in in terms of obviously Degrom is in his own tier. But some similarity with being some of the better pitchers in baseball over the last several years. Um, Carrasco, I think, has flown under the radar a little bit, understandably, because one, the rotation he was in was very good, and two, had some people in it who liked attention. It's uh, <laughs> one way of putting it. Um, one, one in particular. But, yeah. Yeah, it's. I I always say, when it comes to, to any sport really, but I, I think about baseball more than any of the others, that you, you've got to enjoy the players you have while they're here. So there's that aspect of it that okay, these guys are here. We'll think about the off season when we get there, especially once the games start. Uh, as a fan and, and and hopefully as a player too, you want to be in that mode, but. Your your point is valid. Uh, there, I don't know. They, especially if things aren't going well at any point during the season, you'll start to get that feeling of like, oh boy, okay, this is it. Is this combination of players going to work, and will they ever get a chance to do it again? I also wonder if. Like, I didn't even think of this until right this second. This is a cursed thought, so I'm warning you. If they don't sign Lindor and they have a really terrible season, he might get moved at the deadline. Right. And that's just the most depressing thought I've had in a while. You know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> come on. Just make this make this happen, Mets. Please. 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 Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, all right. Let's talk some optimistic stuff. What's a, what's a reason that you're optimistic going into this season, Chris? Well, uh, the the rotation in general and, and specifically Marcus Stroman for me, I think 
I don't know. I think the relationship between Mets fans and Stroman uh, was was a little weird just because he was an unexpected trade acquisition at the time that they got him. And, uh, you know, he pitched pretty well, or decently at least. But he wasn't quite as good as he had been in Toronto before the trade. <clears throat> and then obviously last year he, he opted out over uh, COVID concerns. And I know a lot of fans were skeptical that basically he was, you know, uh, accusing him of gaming the, t- the system in terms of uh, service time and his injury. And then he opted out because of that. But I don't know. Uh, given the way that the past year has gone for everybody. And given the way that there were COVID outbreaks in, in major league baseball, uh, very frequently in the early part of the short season, I absolutely don't, didn't think at the time and still do not think it's fair to judge any player who decided to opt out during that. So, uh, I, I think all of that sort of created a very unique, first impression for a player and I'm very excited that he's back and is ready to go to you know pitch over the course of a full season and I know he's not a guy who's turned in excellent years every year of his career but he's entertaining to watch he's he's unique uh when it comes to you know his personality and speaking to the press he's just I don't know. He's he's energetic. He's engaging. He is not your routine player who's just giving sort of boilerplate responses to everything. And uh, yeah, and he's he's a uh, he's a guy who you can't help but like on social media. So all that stuff combined with the opportunity to play a full season, uh, you know, pitch in the National League for a full season for the first time in his career. I think uh, I, I'm not saying he's going to challenge Jacob Degrom for a Cy Young award, uh, but I think he could be very good. And right now, he's clearly the Mets' number two pitcher. Um, a few months from now, he could well hypothetically let's say they get into a playoff series, he could be anywhere from two to four in in setting up a rotation for that kind of a situation. But right now I think he, he has that opportunity. Uh, he, he has plenty of confidence and I think he's just going to be fun to watch. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. And, uh, the, the, when he accepted the qualifying offer, that was just a significant moment in this off season because I don't know how many pitchers, uh, on that level, the Mets would have signed. That's a fair point. You know, they did a good job in, in adding depth and trading for Lucchese, trading for Yamamoto. Um, but they didn't really do, a, and maybe in part because they had Stroman, but I don't know that they would have gone out and spent similar amounts of money on starting pitchers to, to slot into the rotation behind DeGrom. Yeah, I, I I'll I'll somewhat agree with that. Um, my optimistic reason, is, optimistic player rather, is Taiwan Walker, and so I I I I will not be saying that Taiwan Walker is going to have the same impact impact that you know um, Stroman's going to have on the team, 
But I do think that Taiwan Walker is a he's a he's a, maybe a class below Stroman in terms of his uh, his stature among pitchers. That said, I think that Walker is going to be a pretty. I think it's going to be a pretty remarkable signing when all is said and done because I think people are going to be surprised just how just how good Walker can wind up being. You know, he has not been healthy in quite some time. He I read a really great article with him at the end of last um season where he talked about how he's just now sort of getting into analytics and looking at why certain things worked or didn't work for him as a pitcher and so he's throwing the ball differently than he did before he started looking into that. And even though he's a veteran player, he's only, I think, 28 years old, if I'm not mistaken. And the Mets have him for two years with a third-year option. And you know, the only players they really have signed that far out at this point are Jacob DeGrom and Jacob DeGrom. So the Mets need players that are going to be here for a couple of years. And I think that Walker might wind up being one of the sneakier, positive signings this offseason. And they're gonna get. They got him for. I mean, not for nothing, but they got him, you know, on a on a deal that feels very team friendly, but also feels fair to maybe what his last couple of injury plagued seasons, you know, plus a little optimism might be worth. But I could see this this deal being talked about next off season and saying, you know, can you believe how much the Mets got out of Taiwan Walker for the? I think it's ten million they're paying him this season. Something like that, yeah, yeah. You know, so I, I think it has a potential to be a real steal. And you know, if you watch him at all in spring, his stuff looks strong. And uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to see what he does as a Met. So that's that's a pitcher I'm excited about. Who's a position player you're excited about? So, short of answering all of them, uh, despite my catching concerns, I guess uh, I'll go go Jeff McNeil. Um, I think he, I don't know. He's just been consistently a very good hitter for his entire major league career. Um, and I don't know. I don't, I don't think when you, when you look at what he's done, he's had stretches in his career where he's been like an extremely high average guy. Uh, he's had, he also had a stretch when he was hitting for a lot of power the nice thing about the Mets lineup right now is that he can be either one of those things and succeed <laughs> to a, to a pretty large degree. Uh, you know, this team should be getting on base quite a bit. It should be hitting a lot of home runs, as you said earlier. And uh, I don't know if he if he hits three thirty with five home runs, or if he hits two eighty with twenty five home runs. Either version of McNeil could be a guy who's scoring a lot of runs driving in a lot of runs um, and, you know, getting to play second base, uh, which is the position that he has the most familiarity with. So uh, I think that little bit of comfort in the field never hurts a guy at the plate. So I don't know. I'm not going to say that I think he's going to be the, uh, the best hitter on the team. It's a hard thing to really throw on anybody in a lineup that has so many other good hitters in it. But uh, he's got a chance to be. And, yeah, I don't know. I I think that is going to be fun to watch. And uh, 
there, there's something, you know, going back to the, the beginning of, of the episode here. There's something about that kind of hitter who's got, you know, and I'm, I'm no like batting average guy or anything, but there's something about that guy who, who really does put the ball in play a lot and can smoke the ball into the gap, you know, hit a lot of doubles, hit his fair share of home runs. Um, and when you're, when you're a team that has a lot of guys on base, I think that kind of player can stand out a little bit more because, you know, if you're doing it as part of a lineup, that's maybe not so strong. It, it's good. You know, it's still, you're still going to have the same slash line, uh, as a hitter. But when you're doing that in a lineup that has these kind of hitters around you, like, man, you can, you can really put up a year. So, I don't know. I think McNeil has, has done nothing but succeed so far, but I think this could be a special year for him. See, it's funny. I <laughs> I don't know if it's because it was a shortened season or what, but, like, the endearing image of um, McNeil in my head right now is him just slamming a bat to the ground saying, fuck, really loudly <laughs> when, he, when he makes it out. So, yeah. um Whenever he gets a hit, I'm like pleasantly surprised because it just seems like the 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 image in my head is just that that image of him getting frustrated. Um, but I hope I hope he has a huge year because I think he is a lot of fun to watch. Um, so my offensive player, I, I've been going back and forth with this um, pretty much since we started recording, trying to figure who's going to talk about. I think I want to talk about Michael Conforto just because uh, for sort of the same reasons we talked about before with. You know, the Mets maybe not building a dynasty. This could be the last season of Michael Conforto in Queens. I'm actually fairly, I feel fairly confident that Conforto winds up back as a Met, but then they're going to pay a lot of money for him. And, uh, you know, we'll see. But Michael Conforto last season kind of put it all together. Not that he had down years before then, but Conforto just last season looked locked in from day one and just gave the impression that he was the man and, and he was going to, he was going to be, we were going to we be watching him crush the ball for the entire season. This is exactly what happened. As soon as he came out last season, he seemed just like there was a new level of confidence to him and it really came through on both sides of the ball. I think he played better outfield. His arm looked good last year. You know, I, I I think the Conforto has the ability to be an MVP candidate for this team, and it's going to be really fun to watch him hit in a lineup that will have him so protected. I mean, that's that's one of the things that I think is going underreported this this spring is just how stacked this lineup is going to be. I mean, McCann is going to be batting eighth if, if they go up what they've been doing so far in the spring, it looks like it's going to be a combination of something like, you know, Nimmo leading off Lindor batting in the two hole and then Conforto, Alonzo Smith. I mean, the, the, the lineup just is so deep. And so you're going to get Conforto's not going to get pitched around because you can't pitch around him because there's going to be boppers before him and after him. And so I think you're just going to see this guy just hit, just consistently hit the cover off the ball. He has power. He uses the whole field. He's a smart hitter. I I, I really think I really think the Conforto is going to have just a a bulletproof year this year. But we'll see. 
Yeah. All right, so here we are, Chris. We are. It's ten ten p.m. <laughs> the night before opening day, and nothing has happened yet with Lindor. What are you feeling about this at this point? Do you think this is dead? No, I don't think it's dead. But uh, I, I wrote about <clears throat> Lindor this morning, or and uh, yeah, I don't know. I've never had uh, and and look not that none of it's that bad i'm sure it would be a lot worse if i wasn't just a like 30 something white dude writing about baseball (laughs) with an opinion but i've never had that much vitriol sort of directed at me for a baseball opinion that essentially was you know what if you have to meet lindor's total demand so what we're mets fans why the fuck do we care if steve cohen is on the hook for you know, year 11 or year 12 at basically the same average salary that, that the Mets offered him. Like, why? Why do we care? Why does anybody care about that? It, it makes no sense. As a fan, yeah, and, and we, I've talked about this on the podcast before, and we, and we talk about it internally, um, you know, the salaries are a significant part of the sport but baseball doesn't have a salary cap the Mets are owned by an ultra billionaire there is nothing wrong as a fan with saying you know what this is one of the best players in baseball he's super likable he's a great player and you don't get the opportunity to to, uh, exclusively negotiate with somebody like that Uh, almost ever so if you have to overpay a little and, and the funny thing to me is that, like, oh, the Mets made a great offer. Okay, so why is adding one or maybe two more years to it terrible? Right. It just makes no sense. Um, so, yeah, I, I just – I don't understand passionately not wanting a player who's this good on your team for a very long time. And then knowing that if for some reason it doesn't work out, you have an owner – who has more money than you can imagine and once paid $155 million for a piece of art. So about half of Francisco Lindor's contract extension is hanging on a wall somewhere in something that Steve Cohen owns. Or possibly in a storage facility. Yes, sure. Yeah, even better. You know, it may not not even be important enough to, to him personally to display. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's, it's, man, I've been trying to figure out the fans' perspective on this. And I think part of it is just Wilpon PTSD. That's an expression I keep using, but I, I feel like we're used to the, you know, it used to be that if, if the Mets had extended Lindor this offseason, that meant they couldn't extend anybody else. They couldn't sign any free agents next offseason. That's not, that's not the reality for this for this franchise anymore. And really it never was. But that's a whole other story. I I just I don't understand why people are so protective of somebody else's money. I I I just don't get it. It's it's maddening. It's It's just so short-sighted too. Like do these do these people think that if Francisco Lindor doesn't sign here that the Mets are going to sign a better shortstop for 
less money in the off season. Right. And One if so, those... why, 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 why do we, who cares? <laughs> even, even if you, let's say that you're a big Trevor story guy. Let's pretend that someone out there is, is a huge Trevor story guy and you want him on the Mets. Okay. There's, there's going to be, you know, a number of suitors for Trevor story and almost all of those suitors have owners that can afford to pay him just like us. There is no reason to think that Trevor Story, unless the Mets blow him away with an offer, would have any advantage over another team for the for the services of that player. So you're going into you're going into it almost you almost have to bet against the field, right? In this instance, if he's going to the Mets or going to the field, you have to you have to bet on the field at that point. You have to because it's just the odds are so much better. So, like you said, the Mets can could have exclusively negotiated with Lindor. Now, I don't understand why those negotiations didn't start before spring training, but the Mets made it very clear they were going to start during spring training, and then there were a lot of weeks of people saying. You know, oh well, uh, we're gonna. You know, it's, it hasn't really started yet. We've had preliminary discussions. Even a couple of days ago, Lindor said nothing major was going on. What the fuck are the Mets waiting for? Right. <laughs> like, honestly, I and I don't. I do not. I don't buy Sandy Alderson's bullshit line, which he said. We saw this trade as a rental, and if we can, if we can extend them, that's great. But we felt we got fair value for the trade. I don't think you do this trade if you don't know you can you can sign him. Yeah. It just makes no sense. Right. Yeah, no. And especially when you come in and say things like, I just want to make millions of people happy. I don't care about making money. Uh, I want the Mets to be the Dodgers East. And you get this opportunity to do one of the best things the Dodgers have done. One of the things they did just before they finally won a World Series and trade for another guy because some other team doesn't want to win and is refusing to pay an elite player in his final arbitration year, uh, you know, choosing to trade that guy and not extend him to stay with his team. So, you know, taking that Mookie Betts template and just applying it to Francisco Lindor and... Yeah, I, I don't know. If it, 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 it's mind-boggling that anybody could be passionately against Lindor, except for the fact that the Mets, you know, put it out there that oh look, we made this great offer, and like you said, all that time under the Wilpons, it's like oh wow, you know, the Wilpons never signed anybody for more than one hundred fifty million dollars. Never mind three hundred, but. The economics of the sport have changed, and they changed long before the ownership of the team did. And just because the Mets were behind for all those years doesn't mean that the reality hadn't changed while they were getting washed away. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. The other thing I'll say here is I I fucking hate the we made him a great deal line because that's a fucking Trump line. (laughs) <laughs> it was a beautiful deal. There's never been a better deal. We're not making another deal. Like I, 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 I don't, 
I, I just I don't get it. I don't understand any of this. I it's so frustrating. And I don't know where the blame lays. I know a lot of our staff tends to put the blame at Alderson's feet. Right. But I feel like a a, a signing of this level usually has ownership involvement more so than than Alderson's involvement would would be. But I also feel like I and I know that Trevor Bauer was going to be a short-term deal and so that's why they were willing to go to the super high average annual value, but there is no universe in which Trevor Bauer gives the Mets half the value in 3 years that Francisco Lindor will. Lindor is an everyday player at an elite level at a competitive position where you give up nothing on either side of the ball. Those players don't come around very often. They don't. The Mets have had maybe three of those players in the last 20 years. Yeah. Not not counting pitchers, again, just position players here. You know, he would instantly jump up to the David Wright, Mike Piazza, Carlos Beltran level of of elite player on the team. Yeah. Now, having with, said all that... It, <laughs> and with a personality to boot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. A guy who's going to make billions of dollars for this team in right. jersey sales and everything else. Sign this fucking guy. Oh, I hate that we're having this conversation. This, um, you know, our, our staff has... has you know the the potential to be hyperbolic at times. Let's say, um, mm-hmm. as Mets fans all over do, and a bunch of folks have said that like this is going to ruin opening day for them. And I don't know if I'm necessarily in that boat because I'm. Uh, it's been a week, man. I need opening day, right? But I also totally understand it. This is a terrible way to start a season. Yeah, yeah, no, no. It's I, I think. As soon as uh, as soon as they take the field, I will enjoy all of it, and I, I think I can separate those two things. And uh, and look, what what I was going to say a minute ago was uh, we we've joked about this that if there's any surefire way to get something to change in terms of major Mets news, it's for us to stop recording this podcast. <laughs> yes. So uh, it is now ten twenty p.m. On opening day eve, and uh, I don't know. Either Lindor is going to agree to to sign uh, sometime tonight or sometime tomorrow morning. And if he does, clearly you can just you know thank this podcast for uh, <laughs> pushing things along. Well, let's get to our music picks, Chris, before I pass out. <laughs> um, just so yeah. listeners know, I I have COVID nineteen. I got it at work wearing a mask, socially distanced. And uh, so I'm exhausted, but I'm okay. So, what is your uh, what is your music pick for this week, Chris? So I don't. I, I'm pretty sure I'm not being redundant here. I have our whole list up, so I can tell you if we are. If have I right. picked any Fu Manchu record before? Uh let's look it up. I think you might have picked one. You picked King of the Road once. Okay. Well, this is the other best uh, Fu Manchu record. (laughs) 
um, they, they, they're a band. I, I love them year round, but they're a band that always comes to mind when the weather starts to warm up a little. And I know that we're still in March, uh, or just hitting April. And, and I know it's not like beautiful and all that, but I, I love turning to both of the records. Uh, California crossing is the other one uh, around this time of year when it's just like the first few times that you can put the windows down in the car and like blast the music and just, you know, you get a, you get a little taste of the weather warming up and spring and summer to come and all that. So, uh, I don't know. It'd be funny if I gave that exact same context for King of the Road in, in, in my other recommendation. But... I think you might have given. I think you might have recommended this one actually in Florida last year. You did. Uh... You did. It, it was. It was your first pick of our of our like three shows. Or I guess. I guess I did a show by myself, and then we did two other shows in Florida. And, yes. Uh, this is the first pick of of your Florida trip last year. All right. Well, I guess my. My music taste and habits are consistent, but I, mean, I want to say we might have listened to this in the car. It's entirely possible, but yeah, <laughs> um, they're just they're a band. They're so much fun. They are one of the the tickets that I had uh, for a show that did not happen a year ago, and is now scheduled to happen a year from now. You know, uh, that whole uh, like chaos of canceled shows postponed shows you know refunds no refunds all that stuff but uh yeah Fu Manchu is just a, a whole lot of fun uh California Crossing not only is it is it there when I have that experience here uh but you know when we've gone to California I've insisted on on <laughs> playing not only the album but the, there's a song of the same name on the record and it's just uh yeah, it, it, it's a must. So I, I I have no shame in recommending Fu Manchu for a second time. All right. Um, I'm going to go with an album that just passed its 20th anniversary. And uh, I feel like today more than ever, you're starting to see a lot of websites like almost daily put up, this album is now 15 years old or whatever it is, like celebrating the anniversaries of albums. Um, but this is an album. It's the second album by the band, The Toadies. If you, if you know Toadies, you probably know their song Possum Kingdom, which was a, a like big alt-rock hit in the mid-90s, uh, song about vampires. Um, it's a good song, real good song. But that, that first album, Rubberneck, is, is great. And then a couple years after that came out, they went into the studio to make a follow-up, and Interscope Records rejected it. And they had a bunch of uh, years there where they were trying. And they, they finally put out a second record in 2001, which was uh, seven years after they recorded, they released their last album. And it kind of went, came and went without much notice. But I think it's either as strong or maybe even stronger of an album than the first one is. Uh, they released, I think, one single it's called Heal, which is probably the worst song on the album. I feel like that's a that's a staple of bands I love. I'll be like, guys, this band you don't remember, they're great. New album coming out, and the first single drops, and it's ass. It's just not a good single. That that happens. I feel like with bands I like all the time, but this album is it's it's super consistent. It's um, they 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 sound they're a band from Texas that kind of combines like the 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 sort of I don't I don't know if you call it alternative rock or college rock of bands like. 
the Pixies and Husker Du with a little bit more of a bluesy edge to it. Um, but this album has a couple of my favorite Toady songs. The first song is called Plane Crash, and it begins with a guitar riff, and then the lead singer, Vaden Todd Lewis, lets out like this blood-curdling scream uh, to kind of kick off the album. And nice. it's it, it's, uh, it's it's jarring in the best possible way to start the album. The song Push the Hand is fantastic. And uh, the, the title track, Hell Below, Stars Above, does the thing I love when it's track does, which is like halfway through, it totally changes. It starts off one way and then turns into something totally different at the end. And it's it's a really, really nice way to... Uh, it's the second to last song on the album. And the last song on the album is great too, but the, the, when the song shifts, it sort of sets the tone for the last like five minutes of, of the of the album. It's really, really good. And I just found out today, looking at the liner notes for it, that Elliot Smith played piano on one of these songs, which is like the least likely combination if, if you know the toadies you know elliot smith they don't sound like they should go together at all uh but he plays on this album on one song and um <laughs> it's it's really great and uh apparently they're going to re-release this on vinyl for, for the first time for the its 20th anniversary and so i'm very excited about that too so hell below stars above by the toadies is my pick nice uh, well uh Get some rest. <laughs> yeah, I, I will do my best. I, we are doing okay. I was, you know, Chris is informed with all of this, but my uh, son, who is five, also tested positive for COVID, um, which I obviously brought home. And so he and I are, are camping out in my basement while my wife and daughter are upstairs trying to avoid us. My wife is double vaccinated. Hopefully she doesn't get it. The pediatrician basically told us, yeah, your daughter's going to get it. Just, you know, be prepared. So we're just waiting for that shoe to drop. So. But it's opening week. There's Mets games to be had. And uh, now that we're signing off, expect the Lindor news, you know, pretty quickly. Let's hope. Oh, God, I hope so. All right. Thanks for listening, <laughs> folks. AmazingAvenue.com, especially today, is the place to be. We have so much fun stuff dropping today. Um, we hope that you check us out there on facebook twitter and instagram at amazing avenue this show can be found on spotify stitcher apple podcasts on amazing avenue itself check out the other shows on our network we have some great shows dropping this week already we have some really fun stuff coming up for some in conversation ones i know one in particular uh me and chris are both very excited about coming up an unexpected guest on on an amazing avenue podcast but it's gonna be a lot of fun and um until this time, let's go Mets. This time, next time, what the fuck? Until next time, let's go Mets. God damn it. Sign Lindor. <laughs>